Kevin titled this series Bitcoin Bust. Um, I don't know enough about Bitcoin to have anything to do with that, so if you were showing up hoping for something technologically astute, Jim Chen is not here. Okay? Um, he's, he's your guy for technology and then that sort of thing. I don't, I don't get it. Um, in this teaching that Jesus gives, Jesus is redefining what it means for how God's people should truly be. The things that we love, our sense of what's right, what's honorable, the standards for our behavior, even what our instincts are. And Jesus doesn't mess around. Like when we think about those things that we're not supposed to talk about in polite company, right? It's sex, living is backwards. The way they understand what it means to be God's people and how to obey him is completely wrong. Jesus continually points to what people have come to understand and what they've accepted is true or how it is or the way the world works. And he describes a new way of living and a new and better way of loving that more closely resembles God's way. And he sets that as the standards for his people. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 6, 19 to 34. It's going to be on the screen behind me. You're welcome to find it on your devices or in your other device. Um, let me read it for you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a really well-known and really familiar text for many of us. Many of us probably heard words and sayings that are really familiar that we often say just on their own. Things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't store up treasures for yourselves. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. These are sayings that we have. And you know what? Honestly, there's a thing about them that I find in real life it's really hard to follow through on. And I think that some of those things that we take away on their own, outside of the context of the passage, like most things, can be really problematic and actually take us away from what Jesus is trying to get us to focus on. And I want to be clear as I say this off the top. This is not Jesus' definitive teaching on retirement planning. Okay? This is also not a condemnation from Jesus on people who deal with anxiety. Jesus is teaching us to live with a different perspective. 
We're going to go a little bit at a time through this passage and see what it's telling us and see how we can understand what Jesus is getting at for us over those 15 verses. So it starts, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus immediately here describes the difference between earth and a heavenly kingdom. The earthly kingdom perishes, but the kingdom of God will reign forever. And Jesus encourages us not to keep the things that we value, our treasures, in places where they're going to decay and get destroyed or be taken. But he isn't telling us to move our earthly treasures into the heavenly kingdom of things that will endure. If you, if you treasure and place your highest value on the things of earth, food, clothes, accumulating things, well, that's where your heart is going to be. And if we value the things that God loves, people, community, redemption, restoration, now our treasure is worth something, and it will endure. Looking at what we love shows us the kinds of people that we are. Are we living for ourselves and pursuing the kinds of things that this world convinces us are important, either for our social status or our security, or are we seeking after the things that God loves? When we seek after the things that God loves, when we learn to treasure and prioritize these things, that's where we find the presence of God, the experience of the kingdom of God. Um, Robert Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Pierce, myself, and Kevin are the preachers for this series, and we got together to have a conversation and just kind of bounce ideas off each other, think where we were going to pray about what was going to happen in these sermons in this series. Uh, and we were having a real roundtable conversation, and Kevin at one point um, said, you can't enter into the experience of the kingdom of heaven when you're living for yourself. Now, we were paying attention the whole time, but all three of us who weren't Kevin reached for our pencils and started writing down at the same time. It's a really profound, really helpful sentence. You can't enter into the experience of the kingdom of God when you're living for yourself. And the text continues. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, when I was a kid, uh, oftentimes I would try to get away with not going to school, right? Uh, and I would say to my parents, Mom, I'm sick. Well, my dad is usually off at work already, but Mom, I'm sick. Uh, I probably shouldn't go to school today. And she said, I want proof. Uh, and so she always needed a physical symptom, uh, whether it was a fever or... We'll stop there. Um, but she wanted proof. She needed something. And I remember one particular day. I was about 10 or 11, uh, and I had been home Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I was tired of being home, and I was really feeling better. And so Friday, I said, Mom, I've had enough of being home. I need to go back to school. So that was actually probably a symptom of me being sick normally. Um, anyways, but what happened that day, she said, you know what, let me look at you. She looked into my eyes, and she said, nope, you're still sick. What? Because your eyes are glassy. They're shiny. When that's happening, there's something. I know you. You're sick. So stay home, get better, and go at it again. You've been down for a week. Take your time. First time ever that I got to stay home without one of the symptoms on our list. It was awesome. Um, but here's the thing. I do the same thing as a parent with my own kids. When something seems off with them, whether they're tired or a little extra grumpy or something, I look at their eyes. Are they shiny? Are they glassy? And I can say, ha, are you healthy or not? Okay? But here's the thing. We think, we think of this verse often as looking into the eyes. Can we see how you're doing when I look into your eyes? But what Jesus means here is not how do your eyes look, 
but how do your eyes see? Because when he says healthy, what he means is generous. The nuance of that word healthy is generous. Are your eyes generous? When you look out at the world around you, do you see opportunity for generosity or things you need to hoard and keep to yourself? If you, if you look out and you see generosity, then I know what's inside you is light. That's the God instinct within you, is generosity. When you look out and see opportunity to keep for yourself, that's darkness within you. That's not light. Your eyes are stingy, your body's full of darkness. Some mind, what are your instincts? If you think about your financial situation, talk about this passage a week ago. He's a financial person, and there's been a bad week for Jamie, and he just let me know before this service that he holds me responsible. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but are you thinking about all those things that you've lost? Are you thinking with gratitude about the way God has provided for you? Are you thinking about ways that you can give and that you can share and that you can partner with other people and give what you have to others? Are you thinking kingdom? If $1,000 fell into your lap or your pocket on the way home, how would you spend it? What's the first thing that came into your mind just now? What's your impulse? Does your mind go as to ways you can share it or give it away? Or do you think of how you need it for your own needs and priorities? How do your eyes see this scenario? Are you healthy and generous? Do you have kingdom eyes? Or are your eyes looking inward? Are they unhealthy? And I'm afraid that as somebody who follows God and is his child, is a faithful follower of Jesus, that I tend the wrong way in this. And I'm afraid that I'm not alone. I'm afraid that God's people have the wrong reputation in this. And what's worse, I think we've earned it. My wife is a server at Swiss Chalet. And if you did a survey to ask them what's the worst shift to get, Sunday lunch. The time in the restaurant fills up with people who leave church and go into the restaurant and tip terribly. We've earned this reputation for stinginess somehow. Not, we can be better tippers, sure. But let's not just do it so we can say that we're generous. Let's actually be that, have our heart changed. We need our default setting to be given. If we're stingy, we need more Jesus. We need more light. We need those instincts of generosity. And it's a bit more of the same idea um, as we read in the first couple of verses. On earth, treasure rots and it's stolen. In heaven, treasures don't. They last and they mean something. When what you treasure is on earth, your eyes are motivated inwardly to keep what you have to yourself for your own benefit. Kingdom hearts have eyes that are generous. Kingdom hearts beat to share. That don't think about how little they can give away or how much they can keep for themselves. Kingdom hearts realize that whatever is here stays here. And there are more important, longer-lasting things to value. That giving and sharing are impulses that are trained and modeled after the love of God. When I was at Briarcrest, uh, I was a part of a few different music teams that would go around the country uh, touring and doing concerts and different performances. Uh, and a part of every concert was a love offering, where we would pass the baskets around. Um, probably in 120 of these types of performances that I was a part of, there's one that stands out. Um, and it was actually at Jolene, my wife's home church. Uh, she was not my wife at the time. Not important. Why did I say that? Um, but it was my wife's home church. And the youth pastor got up to do the offering. And he did something I've never seen before, but I think maybe we should start doing here. Uh, he said, I want every one of you to take your wallets out. Right? Now hand them to the person beside you. Now we are taking the offering. And it was funny, that was the intent. And we didn't actually pass each other each other's wallets. Okay, like we didn't do that. 
but it was a really interesting, insightful joke. Would you give differently if you didn't think it was yours? Give like it wasn't yours to begin with. That's what giving in the kingdom can be like. What does your willingness and readiness to give show about where your treasure is or where your heart is? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. There's not some kind of line that we can straddle here between these two kingdoms. We can't serve both God and money. And in this text, the word money is actually probably best understood as the God of money. The God that money becomes, the God of earth. We can have money without it being our treasure. We can have things without them being our treasure, but it's how we think about them and how tightly we hold and guard our money and our things that tell us what we value, what we love, and what we treasure. With us being born as sinful and broken people, we're preconditioned to be selfish. And that's our natural state without Jesus. But when we're born again, and the Holy Spirit gets to working in us, we have hope for that to change. Ask God to show you where you need to change your perspective. Is there a thing, or a situation, or some scenario in your life that God's bringing to your mind as we're talking about this? Is there a thing you don't want to lose, give away, or even share? I want you to ask God to change the way that you feel about it because of the way you feel or want to feel about him. Then ask for the chance to give it away. Ask for the chance to share it or use it in a way that means something more than you using it for yourself. When I was at my last church in London, um, Julian and I went away on vacation for a week. Uh, and we were away over a Sunday, and the people who were playing on worship that week would borrow my guitars. So one borrowed my acoustic, one borrowed my electric. And that electric guitar I had got two months earlier, like a steal of a deal. I walked into the music store with my friend Brent, and we're looking at the guitars on the wall, and I just pulled one down. It didn't have a price tag. And I played it, and I'm not an appraiser or anything, but I played enough guitars to know when it's a good one. Okay? So I went, shring. It sounded better than that. But just... It was like you could hear the angels as I strummed this chord. It was beautiful. It was awesome. And I was like, this guitar is like a grand easy. And so I went to the sales guy. There's no price on this one. What is it? He goes, $4.99. I went, what? He goes, fine, $2.99. I, oh, okay, let me make sure the decimal's in the right spot. I'm not an impulse buyer when it comes to instruments and stuff like that. But I called home right away and said, Jolene, if it costs me a kidney, we have to do this. Okay, like, it's really important now that I make this purchase. I loved that guitar. For those two months, I played it. I loved it. I was writing music on it. It was glorious. It was such a good time. When I came back the day after vacation, it was gone. The electric guitar, also gone. And so this crazy steal of a deal on both my acoustic and my electric guitars vanished. They were stolen. It was not my favorite day. I wouldn't say my impulse was to say, well, God, thank you for the chance to be generous to these thieves. It was not there. It was not what I was thinking. The, the leadership of the church, the finance team came back to me and said, Jeff, here's the thing. The deductible on our building is too high, and it's not worth it for us to do that. However, we will give you dollar-for-dollar dollar value for what you paid for your guitars. Okay? 
My guitars are important to me. They're not the most important thing to me. What they do is they're more than pieces of wood with strings on them that resonate nicely. Okay? They're a means for me to pray. They're a means for me to connect with God. They're a means for me to serve his people and bring other people into a deeper understanding and communion with him. These guitars are important to me. And I think they're important for more than just my benefit. And so I was a little sad. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to replace both guitars. I was getting my head around it and saying, Lord, I trust you. Sure. Julian and I were going to actually go from London uh, to a different place to go because they would have better selection uh, of guitars that I could get. And uh, just before we left, one of the people who's involved in the worship ministry called me and said, Jeff, here's the deal. Um, I know the church can't cover. I want to be helpful. So I'm going to give you my entire next two weeks paycheck to top up what you can afford versus what you want. So go ahead. This was a 17-year-old kid who said, this is important and your guitars mean something to me. Please, take this and go. He was in a situation right then and there that giving an entire paycheck would have had impact. Maybe not the same as somebody with a mortgage, Okay? But that level of sacrifice, that level of generosity, that instinct, that's light. I don't know how that could be a selfish thing for him. His instinct, his compulsion was generosity. And generosity is one of those ways that we can fix what's broken. It's one of the ways that we can make things right. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So this text is about much more than just a prohibition against worrying. If we find that we're preoccupied with our need of things, clothes, or what we put on the table, and we forget the one who provides these things, we're earthly kingdom kinds of people. God loves you more than he loves birds. God loves you more than he loves flowers. He wants to show you. Trust him and trust in his love. Now, this isn't a passive trust. Okay? It's not asking you to sit back and wait on miracles. Unless you feel like God is explicitly leading you that way, that's not the kind of trust that we're talking about here. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for faithfulness. Ask for his guidance. Ask God for faith to believe his love and eyes to see and understand his love for you. Food and clothing are important and they're necessary, sure, but they're not as important as those things that endure, the things of heaven. Growing up, my dad worked for InterVarsity. And, uh, and what that meant is we did the monthly support thing where people, like his salary depended on the generosity of people, honoring commitments they made, etc. It wasn't always awesome. It wasn't lucrative. If the money didn't come in, we got whatever came in. Right? So we'd made certain commitments based on people's generosity, etc. Um... But there were real ebbs and flows, which I didn't really find out about that much until later in life because my parents were pretty quick to not talk about money with us as kids. Okay? Um, but one Christmas, I was probably grade 8, grade 9, somewhere in there, 
the doorbell rang about two weeks before Christmas. And the, we opened the door, and it was my parents' Bible study. And they had the biggest honking stocking you've ever seen. It was about seven feet by about three and a half. Like, we couldn't get our arms around it. It was that big. Maybe I was a little smaller then, but, okay? But we couldn't get our arms around it. It was huge, and it was chock full of food, money, and gifts, and all those things that we associate with Christmas. Okay? Just full. And there was the cheapest, weirdest-looking teddy bear on top. Okay? It, I still I remember him because when the Christmas decorations went away, the white teddy bear didn't. And my mom had made him a scarf and stitched the initials JJ onto it. I'm like, Mom, this bear, gross. Like, why is this the thing you're keeping out? JJ, what, and it, seriously? Great name, Mom. Nailed it. But anyways, maybe all the kids were J's and she felt like she had to have them fit in. I'm not sure. Here's the thing. JJ, for her, we found out later, was Jehovah Jireh, which is the name, was one of the names of God from the Old Testament, which means... God our provider, God provides, okay? Jehovah Jireh. It turns out that when the doorbell rang, she was in our pantry, and she was looking at our shelves, and she was saying, God, I don't know how this adds up. I can see the number of meals we have left, and we don't have anything to go get more food. What is the deal? Ding dong! Giant stocking, here you go, have a great Christmas. We had no clue at the time that that's what was going on, but the generosity of God's people was a way to step into the scenario to fix what was broken, to make things right. That group of people invested in the things of heaven. They invested in community. They invested in justice. They invested in caring for somebody else. These are the things of heaven. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And the last couple of verses here that I've read for you bring home what this text is challenging us with, with a final earth and heaven parallel. The pagans, and here it means the word Gentiles, which is people who are not God's people, they worry about food and drinks and clothes. They chase after them. And everybody needs these things. But the mark of the people of God should be that we don't chase after those things. The people of God chase after him. The people of God seek the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is where Christ has dominion, wherever he rules. We need to chase after God to pursue knowing him and experiencing his presence. Food and drink and clothes get added on to that. And I don't think what Jesus is saying here is don't save money. I don't think that what Jesus is saying is do not have nice things. But what Jesus is saying here is don't have things in your life that would take you away from chasing after him. I don't think he means that if you experience anxiety that you don't know that God loves you. But I believe that we see in the Bible that anxiety is not something that God ultimately wants for you. God wants us to invite him into the space that anxiety takes up. If we think about Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with thanksgiving, through prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends and goes beyond all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What I love about that is God says, you have anxiety, bring me into it. Let my presence invade that situation. My peace will guard you. 
invite me in. Worry, panic, anxiety, these things invade. They get in the way. Invite God into it. God may use a medical process to help you experience healing. But even through that process, make sure that he is at the center of it. This Wednesday, happy Valentine's Day, everyone, in advance. Uh, I re- although I read something on the Book of Faces last night. Um, that Valentine's Day is Lent this year. Uh, and Easter is April Fool's Day, which means it's going to be a really weird year for Catholics. <laughs> it's, it's, anyways, but this Wednesday being Valentine's Day and Lent, I wonder if there's something in that for us to look at this year. Lent is a time of sacrifice and simplicity that helps us prepare for Easter and the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus and all of what that means for us. Lent often means finding something and taking it away and using the space and the lack that's there to ask God to to make himself known to us in that. I don't think it just needs to be about taking things away. Are there things that we need to use differently, that we've used for selfish purposes, that we can start to bring people into, to partner with them, to share with them, to experience the love of God as we share, because sharing is the love of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up um, as we wind down here. I don't want us to sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice or because we feel like it should be. Our hearts make it a really hard thing to want to give things up. Again, our selfishness. We need to ask God's spirit to speak and to move. We need to ask him to stir up and convict us and show us those things that need to be different in our lives. As we come to the table, we see the perfect example here of somebody who lived for heaven. Sacrifice, surrender, obedience. These are things that God loves. This is what it means to seek the kingdom, to lay ourselves down and to follow him. I'm going to give us a little bit of silence and I want to ask, I want you to ask God to show you those things that you need to surrender or to think of differently. Ask him to convict you. And if you don't have anything, that's dangerous. Keep listening. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your word where you remind us who you are and what you want from us. And God, it's my confession that I'm weak, that I'm selfish, that I, that I think inwardly too often. God, I pray that your spirit would stir. God, I pray that your spirit would make clear what it is that you want to see different than my life. And I pray that for my friends here as well. That we would see and know and understand what it is that you're calling us to so that we can follow you in ways that please you. God, would you help us to seek the kingdom? Would you help us to seek the things of heaven in our lives? Would you help us to seek righteousness even when it's uncomfortable and it's not what we want to do? God, would you change our desires? Would you change the things that we love so that we can be citizens of heaven here on earth? Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the mercy that he shows. We thank you for the way that he reached out. And I pray that you would help us to follow his example. to let go of our comfort, to let go of those things we think we should do to surrender to what you want us to do and what you would have us do. And it's with gratitude 
and humility that we accept the generosity that you've given us in Jesus. Change our hearts. Help us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.